Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. They got into an argument. The facts are that he got home at 630 then he spent an hour trying to make things right. Finally, he said, hey, tell you what, sweetheart, let's just start over. I'm going to go back outside, and I'm going to come in the door again. I mean, let's just kind of have a redo. Well, he went back outside, and he opened the door and stepped in, and here's what she said. It's 730 at night, and you're just getting home? <laughs> Complaining. Grumbling, disputing. Two men, they met each other on the street one day, and one looked kind of forlorn. It was almost on the verge of tears, and so his friend said, Hey, man, what in the world's come to you, my old friend? The guy said, Well, let me tell you. Three weeks ago, my uncle died, and he left me $40,000. Man, that's a lot of money. Well, you see, two weeks ago, I also had a cousin I never even knew, and he died, and he left me $85,000 free and clear. That sounds like to me, you've been pretty blessed. Oh, you just don't understand, he said. Last week, my great aunt passed away, and I inherited almost a quarter of a million dollars from her. Friend said, man, I'm really confused. Why do you look so glum? Man responded, well... I went all week. Nobody's died and left me any money. We've all been really blessed. Here's what I find in my life. No matter how blessed I am, I can find something to complain about. And I just can't. I think I'm really good at it. If complaining was a spiritual gift, I know some of y'all might have. I mean, I might have... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I have it, right? I have it. Um, you know, you get somebody like you, you, you know, you're just kind, and you buy somebody a car, and then they want to complain it's not the right color. Or you give someone a promotion at work, and then they complain it didn't happen sooner. You buy your kids something for Christmas, and they complain it's not exactly like the ones their friends at school had. You make it onto the sports team, but then you complain about why practices have to be so hard. Your wife is working late to help make ends meet, but she's met at the door with a complaint about how dirty the house is. You're blessed to be able to go to school, but you complain about the teachers, the food, and even that you have to go to school. You have a phone, but you complain it's not the newest one. Yet... I'll stop here. I think we all get the picture. What I'm trying to tell you is, is that we can complain about anything and everything. Complaining, where my parts where I was raised from, we called it belly aching, griping. That's what they used to say a lot. Moaning, whining. <laughs> Lots of names for it, but here's one thing I know. Nobody really likes to hear complaining come their way but we don't mind sending it other people's way. It's like one man said, he said, complaining is like bad breath. 
You notice it when it comes out of somebody else's mouth, but not your own. <laughs> Here's what I'm going to tell you today. Complaining, groaning, that sense, it, it steals joy. It reeks of ingratitude. It signals that you think that you're entitled. And complaining can change a conversation or an environment really quickly. It's like the release of a toxic gas. I mean, what does it do to you when you've put out your best or you've provided something sacrificially or you've given somebody a gift or said something very kind to them and it's only met with their complaint? Not really good, right? So let's just go a little bit deeper. What do you think happens when God's people are complaining about things happening in His church? What do you think it goes through God's mind when his children complain about their leaders or the way he's doing things in their lives. We're still in the book of Philippians, and we're looking at Paul's jailhouse journal of the joyous advancement of the gospel. That's key, the joyous advancement. And this morning, we've come to the topic of complaining. And here's where we're headed this morning. The sermon in a sentence is kind of like this. We shouldn't complain about anything because it affects everything. We shouldn't complain about anything because it affects everything. In the context of the passage that we'll look at this morning in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, if you want to go ahead and turn there, the context tells us that we are to be looking to Christ and working out our sanctification. And interestingly, I found this just overwhelmingly interesting to my heart. The first place your sanctification is going to show up is whether you complain or not. It's just interesting to me. It's just interesting. If we want to continue growing in our sanctification, our looking like Jesus, then we will not complain. And our text this morning is going to reveal two truths about complaining. So I'm going to read in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14 through verse 16. I wonder if you would rise with me as we read God's holy word. Here's what God has to say to us this morning. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Hear the word of the Lord. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. May God bless his word and you may be seated. Here's the first thing we learn. Here's the first thing we learn. We must come to the realization that we are not to complain about anything. We've got to come to this realization that we can't complain about anything. Verse 14 says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Did you hear that? <laughs> Those two words, all things, well, I really got to know what those mean. What do the words all things mean? We got a Greek scholar in the house. It literally means all things. 
So we have to kind of, first of all, grasp the magnitude of the prohibition. This is a big deal. This, this thing is huge. You've you got to put your arms around what he's really trying to say. You've got to grasp the magnitude of this prohibition. He says, do all things. That cannot be overstated or underestimated. It literally means I'm not to complain about Jack. So what is it really that I'm not to do? Well, he says, do all things without grumbling. That phrase really means murmuring. It's an onomatic peak word. In the Greek, it kind of sounds like... <laughs> the word is not referring to that loud vocal complaining. It's the under-the-breath kind. It's not at this point the loud outspoken complaint, but that which happens in the back rooms, in the whispering, in the parking lots, sometimes in the, just the quietness of your own heart. It refers to those who secretly confer and they complain and grumble. It's the low-toned murmuring we do against God and other people. Paul is saying we are to do all things without this, but you have to know that those grumblings, those hushed complaints never stay that way. Because he says then do all things without grumbling, but then he says, or disputing. That word disputing is the, the secret grumblings and complaints. They start coming outward toward other people. This is when the inner and low tone murmurings turn into normal conversations. And when I'm speaking to others, my point in complaining is to try to manipulate them to comply with what I think, behave, or how I feel. Matter of fact, I'm complaining about it, and you should too. Said differently, it's when our secret displeasure leads to open criticism. It's disputing, this word here, when he says we're disputing, it comes from the word we get dialogue from. It's the kind of disputing dialogue, though. It's, kind of, it's the same concept that happened when, when Satan and Eve were in the garden, and they were disputing about what God had said. It's like what happens when the mother tells the little boy to sit down or she's going to have to discipline him. And so the little boy finally sits down and he says, hey, I'm sitting down on the inside. No, I'm not. I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside, mama. That's what this is. So we're not grumble inwardly. We're not to grumble or complain outwardly. And, and listen, I, as I studied this, I, I said, that's impossible. And I'm complaining about the Word of God. Did you see? I mean, that, that, God, I just don't think you should have that. That's, no, he says, and I know it's hard and it seems impossible, but that's what the Bible says. Anything. It means every situation, every place, every inconvenience, every irritation, we are not to complain. I remember reading about Miss Higgins. Y'all know Miss Higgins. You didn't know that you know her, but you know her. She was an incurable grumbler. She grumbled at everyone and everything, and she was always just complaining and one year, though, the pastor said, hey, you know what? I think I've got a way to help her stop complaining. This year, in the year that, that they were kind of hanging around, he noticed that Miss Higgins, she had the, the best potato crop of anybody in the county. I mean, her potatoes were absolutely just the most wonderful of, of all. And everybody was talking about it through the town. So one day he saw Mrs. Higgins. He said, hey, Miss Higgins, I, I just need you to know, man, everybody's raving about your potatoes. I mean, this have to be the best potatoes ever. This is awesome, man. I'm celebrating with you. 
Miss Higgins looked back in with a scowl on her face. She says, what's so great about that? Now I don't have any potatoes to feed the pigs. Some people will complain about anything. Now, Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, have something to say. Philippians 11 through 4, 11 through 12 tells us that not complaining is possible. But verse 13 tells us the secret. So just look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. Paul says this, he says, Now, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content. In whatever circumstance I am in. Paul, how'd you get there? (laughs) Well, I know how to get along with humble means. I know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. Both of having abundance and suffering need. Well, Paul, tell me what the secret is. Verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So I have to grasp to grasp the magnitude. Just combine two words. Y'all see that? Graspitude. I have to grasp the magnitude of the prohibition, but then secondly, we've got to grasp the major problem. Why is this really a major problem? Because this is in the context of us being conformed to Christ. And so after all that Christ has done for us through, through coming and humbling self to the point of obedience and giving his life up for us, all that he's promised us, all that he provides for us, to complain is simply an offense to God. Here's something that the Lord spoke into my heart as I was marinating on this this week. And I want to share it with you because he was speaking to me, but I want to share it with you. He says, we won't stop complaining about problems until we see the problem is really our complaining. Complaining, grumbling, it's a condition of the heart that really, truly, when you boil this thing down, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, my complaining or my disputing is really some way of me showing that I'm displeased with God. I don't trust his sovereignty about a situation. I don't trust his goodness about what's happening in my life. I don't think that he's sovereign over the things that are going on church. I definitely can't trust him with what's happening in the country, at my kid's school. We're we're not in touch with the reality that God is in control. So therefore, when we complain, it's that we're saying, God, really don't like what you're doing. It's really, I'm not content with how you've blessed me. Or I'm not content with how you seemingly have it. Now, see, complaining might seem quite innocent, but I'm here today to tell you that God takes it very, very, very personally. Prayer and thankfulness are sweet incense before our God, but grumbling and complaining are like the sewer. It reeks to our God. And we have to come to the realization that we're not to complain about anything. And we grasp the magnitude means that it's everything. And really the problem is, is because it's an offense to God. I remember reading about a story about these two wives who were doing their laundry in a laundromat. Y'all remember what those are? Laundromats are these places that you go and you wash clothes. There's one right here in town in the Grange, and I praise God for it. I spent the majority of my early childhood in a laundromat. I love laundromats. Getting those little carts and you race each other. I mean, it was awesome. I mean, I have great memories. 
cousins putting me in dryers when they're going. I, I have lots of, lots of good memories in a laundromat. But these ladies were in the laundromat, and they were mending their husband's pants. That means they were sewing some stuff together. And one wife said, my husband is so miserable, all he does is complain. There's nothing go, going right at work. He can't find anything good to watch on television. Our home is just a place of despair. When we go to church, the song leader is terrible, and the pastor is such an idiot. <laughs> the other wife said, well, my husband is really excited. He can't wait to go to church. He loves the sermons. He enjoys his job. We laugh and uh, just have fun all the time as a family. They got really quiet in the laundry room as they continued sewing their husband's pants. And then it became readily apparent what the difference was. One wife who was sewing her grumbling, complaining husband's pants, she was sewing the seat of his pants. The other wife was sewing the knees on her husband's pants. One man had been sitting on his backside doing nothing but complaining about anything, and one man had been on his knees praying about everything. So instead of complaining about what's not good, the text is telling us we should be proclaiming about everything that's good in God. Complaining is really about where you center your thoughts if you think about it. Listen, you can be a complainer or you can be thankful, but you can't be both. The ironic thing that I found is, is that some people will complain about the fact that you shouldn't complain. Was the Lord speaking right now? I mean, as we just kind of just, just jumped right in there and kind of put it out there. I mean, where are you at today? Where are you at with complaining? I mean, where's your heart right now about this? I mean, do you complain a lot? Do you find yourself complaining a lot? We really shouldn't complain about anything. We have to come to this realization that we're not to complain about really anything, but, but why? Well, thanks for asking, because that's the second idea, that we must consider the reasons that we're not to complain about anything. There, there's some reasons, Paul says. So, so we're not to complain, but that's really hard. So the way we can overcome complaining is really to think about why we can't. The damage that complaining really does. Well, well Paul tells me, first of all, that complaining affects our spiritual life. It affects my spiritual life because in verse 15, he says this, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach. So that, Paul says, so that, so that what? So that we can become the people of God who are working out our salvation, looking more and more like Christ. Complaining, grumbling, and criticizing hinder me looking like Jesus. He says we're to be without blame. We're to be blameless without fault. So when I listen to or when I get involved with complaining and grumbling, I'm really to blame. And that affects me spiritually. I'm harming my body and I'm harming the people around me. It is sin and sin always affects us. He says, but we're to be innocent. That word innocent means to be harmless, unmixed, like pure metal, free from any foreign mixture. It can be translated as simple elsewhere. In other words, I'm not to be involved in mixing in my joy with people's complaining. I'm going to be innocent of that. You're not going to put the blame on me that I'm a grumbler. Because it'll hinder my spiritual growth. 
It's like those sacrifices that were offered free of blemish. In other words, you couldn't be made right with God if you brought in a blemished animal to make you right with God. When we offer praise, but we're full of complaining, God says it doesn't help any. We're to be children of God, he says. Prove yourselves to be blameless. And children of God, think about that. <laughs> I mean, you complain because your mom and dad don't get it right. I mean, we serve the king of kings, and he always gets it right. What do we have to complain about? Above reproach, that which cannot be censored, that which is uncompromised. We live our ways and, and uh, live our lives in ways that are pure without fault, and we can't really do that if all we're doing is complaining about the faults and impurities of others. Let me remind you of something. We are the people of joy. Can I just remind you today that negativism, that grumbling, complaining, and disputing steals and kills joy. I've never met anyone in my life who was becoming more and more like Jesus who was a complainer. Just never seen it. Charles Swindoll says that we have no more right to put our complaining and grumbling into the mind of those around us and rob them of their joy than we do to enter their house and steal their belongings. We're to be blameless and innocent. So if I'm complaining and all I'm doing is griping, it may mean that there's something in my heart that is not right. Because here's what I'm trying to tell you today. Complaining is usually related to pride. We complain because we think we know or deserve better. So when we complain, we have to consider the effect that it has on us and other spiritually. Another reason is this. Not only does it, it affect this, my spiritual life, but it affects the spiritually lost. Complaining can fix the spiritually lost. Look there in verse 15. He says that we, we ought to live above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. Instead of complaining, I'm to be living above reproach with a pure life. And I do this in the midst of a crooked generation. The word crooked is where we get the word scolios from. It means crooked or wicked. Somebody has that back scoliosis. They have a, a, a twisted back. This is how the world really is. It's crooked and it's wicked. It's twisted and it's not in perfect alignment with God's will or God's word. But it's also not only just a wicked world, it's this perverse world. That means the active part of twisting and turning. It's not only is the fact that the condition is that the world is turned and bent, but the world is actually twisting and doing that to themselves and to everybody around them. So we are to be above all this and live in line with God's word and chasing after conformity to Jesus. Here's what I'm trying to say. Paul is saying that when we complain and grumble, we are not turning people to the gospel, but away from it. When we complain and grumble, we're twisting and perverting the gospel. People look at us and they say there should be something different, but the gospel doesn't seem to take an effect. We're co-heirs with Jesus. I'm forgiven. I'm filled with his spirit. I'm promised so much, and I have absolutely nothing to complain about. But when I complain, I can promise you this. I am not proclaiming the gospel. You can't be doing both. You can't be complaining about things and proclaiming the gospel. The two do not go together. So he says, so instead of whining, we ought to be shining. He says there, you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life 
So instead of whining about life, I should be shining the light. My relationship with God, how I view my circumstances, how I see my problem reflects on what I think about my God and his gospel. I need you to know we oftentimes forget how bad the situation for those who don't know Jesus really is. The Bible says that they are prisoners in the domain of darkness. They have no real hope. They're headed for hell and judgment. They're spiritually dead, enemies of God and cut off from him. I'm trying to tell you, they may look like they have it all together, but they need to see my joy and they need to see my gratitude. I have to shine the light of the blessings of the gospel. He says, as you appear as lights in the world. The word appear means to bring forth light. The word light means that which gives off light. Hold fast the word of life. The word hold fast means that that I would offer you something like I hold it out to you. Like when you go into a restaurant and the, the waitress or the waiter comes along with this, this jar of water, would you like some water? That's what we're doing with the word of life. This word of life is the gospel. But here's what I'm trying to tell you. This is what Jesus says. If I'm going to offer to them the light of the world, I cannot do it covered in complaining. They won't see the light. John tells us in John 6, verses 60, 60, 30, 68, as a result of this, many of Jesus' disciples left because he was teaching very hard things like don't complain. So Jesus said, hey, you don't want to leave too, do you? Peter said, Lord, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. See, Jesus has life in his hand. When we are complaining about each other, when we're complaining about the church, about how things work out for us, about our boss, about our situation, we are dampening the light of the gospel. A complaining Christian will have little to no effect on a lost person. I'm going to just ask you, but who of you have ever been attracted to a complainer? Don't work. We are to bring the light of the gospel and shine in the darkness. But if we complain, grumble, and dispute, we're actually covering the light and keeping folks in the darkness. And we take what part in twisting and perverting the gospel so that they stay crooked. When our lives are light, people listen. So shine and share. Did you know, you know this, the stars and lights are the brightest when it's the darkest. So when it looks like you have the most reason to complain, that's when you've got the most reason to shine. Shine when it's dark. Be different. Be the gospel. We are not to be a complaining church, but a proclaiming church. We are to be worshipers, not whiners. Deuteronomy 32, 5 says it this way. God says, hey, listen. They have acted corruptly against him. They are not his children because of their defect, but are a perverse and crooked generation. And that's exactly where Paul takes this from. Here's what Paul's trying to tell us. Here's what I'm trying to tell you today. When you and I complain, We act just like the world and prove that we're not his children by how we act. Because that's a lot of weight on your hands. You have got to think about really the reason why we aren't to complain because it may condemn somebody to hell. This is serious business. 
This is serious business. When we're complaining and grumbling, we're not only acting like the world, but we're acting unlike the children of God. The word of God has changed us. The gospel has changed us. So if I'm complaining, it affects the spiritual loss. But there's one more reason. Not only it affects my spiritual life and it affects the spiritual loss, but it also affects our spiritual leaders. It affects our spiritual leaders. Look in verse 16. He says, holding fast the word of life, but so that... In the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain or toil in vain. Now, every pastor desires that the rewards for his efforts be full, that the people under his care and love, that they obey the Lord without grumbling and complaining so that with their lives and with their words, the gospel can be on display. Paul says, don't complain so that. So that what, Paul? So that he can have joy. Because you see, complaining is a joy killer. When those leading in ministry are bombarded by complaining, grumbling, and bellyaching, listen, you know what something that does? It steals joy. And Paul says that he wants to rejoice on the day of Christ. In other words, Paul said, I want to look back on that day and rejoice because of the faithfulness and, and those, those beloved brethren, that the people that I've served, I want them to know, and I want to know that I've helped them understand the gospel in such a way that they complain less and proclaim more. What day is he talking about? This is not the day of the Lord, which is reserved for unbelievers. This is the day of Christ. The Bema seat where all of us will, will go before and stand before Christ, but it's a day of rewards and a day of accountability. 2 Corinthians 5.10 tells me this, that we must all appear, believers, before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive compensation for his deeds done through the body in accordance with what he's done, whether good or bad. And here's my follow-up question to that. When you and I appear before Christ, what reward do you think you'll get for complaining? And just in case you're wondering, there isn't one. Paul says, let's not complain because he says, I want to have a reason to glory. He says, I want to know that I haven't run in vain, he says. To run means to spend one strength performing or attaining something. He says, I want to know that I've, I've not spent all my strength in trying to attain something that hasn't been in vain. In other words, empty. It's like talking about a runner who's trained and then suffers the injury from a fellow runner and he can't go on and he can't compete. He says, I want to know. I want to know that I haven't been just pouring it all out so that people can just do what? Take advantage of it. It's just all empty, vain, and meaningless. Because I'm giving it my best, and if all people got to do is complain about it, then I must have just run in vain. But then he says, I want to know that I haven't what? I haven't worked in vain or toiled in vain. That means to labor, to grow weary, to become tired or exhausted. It's, it's like this. I don't want to know that I've toiled all day, but it to be in vain. It's like planting rice all day. If you don't know anything about planting rice, you take these little stalks and you, you get in the water and you have to stick them down to the ground and you stay bent over for eight to 12 hours a day and you're just planting rice. You're just planting rice. You're tired. You're exhausted and you look up and then the skies bust open and these torrential rains just come and they wash away all the things that you've planted all day. That's what complaining does. That's what grumbling does. If all there is is complaint and constant grumbling, it affects leaders. It makes spiritual leaders feel like it's all been worthless because no one is getting that the gospel starts with us bringing us to Jesus and then making us like Jesus. And if we're complaining, we're not looking like Jesus and we've forgotten all we have in Jesus. 
Let me just take words to teach you, not for my own sake, but to teach you what God's Word says in Hebrews 13, 17. The Bible says to obey your leaders and submit to them. I could preach a whole sermon there, but I won't. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Why do you want to do this? So that they may do this with what, church? Joy and not what? Why? Because that would be unhelpful for you. You see, when there's complaining spiritual leaders, they, they, they groan and our hearts are breaking. And as a result, we are less effective to lead people because all we're doing is spending our energy trying to figure out why people are complaining. The Bible is very clear about not complaining against your spiritual leaders. Moses and Aaron were appointed by God to lead the people. Let me just say it this way. You might not dig me, but I'm telling you this. I was appointed by God here. Of course, some others didn't like it. And they thought they, could, they knew better and they could do better. So they brought their complaint to the leaders. Number 16 says this. Now, Kor, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, the son of Dothan, of Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, the sons of Reuben, took men and they stood before Moses together with some of the sons of Israel. Now watch this. 250 leaders of the congregation, chosen in assembly, men of renown. If you don't think you can fall into this, just trust me, you can. And they assembled together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, you have gone far enough. <laughs> For all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is in their midst. So why do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? Well, Moses takes that to the Lord and, and tells them that they're going to offer a sacrifice that, that the Lord is going to show whom he's chosen. So they set everything up, and God told Moses and Aaron to get back because he was going to send a fire down and consume the whole lot of them. <laughs> Numbers 16, the Bible goes on. Then Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these deeds, for it's not my doing. If these men die the death of all mankind, or for they suffer the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about an entirely new thing, and the ground opens up its mouth and swallows them with everything that is theirs, and they descend alive into Sheol, then you will know that these men have been disrespectful, not to me, but to the Lord. And as he finished speaking all these words, the ground under them was split open and the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed them, their whole households and all the people who belonged to Korah with all their possessions. That's pretty bad. And if I saw that happen, I would keep my mouth shut. I'd never complain about another leader as long as I live. Right? But it, but it don't stop there. Look at number 16. It keeps going. But on the next day. All the congregation of the sons grumbled against Moses and Aaron, saying, you are the ones that caused the death of the Lord's people. <laughs> so you complain because we ain't doing something right. And then we do something right and people get judged for it. Then you're going to blame us for them being judged. So Moses goes to the Lord again. And Moses gets told by God, you better step back because now I'm, I'm really mad. Number 1649, but those who died by the plague were 14,700 in number besides those who died on account of Korah. In other words, all the other people, they got consumed too. 
What am I telling you this for? Because I'm, I'm just here to help you today. Listen to me very carefully. You had better be careful about complaining about the leaders of God. I'm, 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 I'm not saying me. I'm talking about just, just, just be careful just who you complain about. Because God takes this stuff super seriously. So I wonder right now, I just wonder in, in this room, how many of us are really paying the price because we complain a lot? I wonder, could that be some of the reason that maybe you're going through what you're going through? Beloved, I just want to remind you that God has placed the spiritual leaders in your life, in your life. So please don't complain and grumble about them. It's not good for you and it's not good for them. Instead, we can be thankful. So I have to come to this realization that when I'm not to complain about anything, that I must consider the reasons why, and it'll help me. The people of God grumbled against Moses in the wilderness, and they didn't make it into the promised land, by the way. I'm just going to help you apply that. If you have nothing really good to say about our building progress, we probably won't make it. Just, just word to the wise. But see... Amongst all the reasons they didn't get in the promised land was because of spiritual idolatry and, and, and immorality. But then in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians, it says this, nor grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroyer. See, God takes grumbling and complaining just as a serious a sin as idolatry or immorality. In Psalm 106, it says, they rejected the pleasant land, did not believe in his word, but grumbled in their tents and didn't listen to the voice of the Lord. And, and that's what happens, right? We just go home and grumble in our houses. The Bible tells us in verse 10 that they were destroyed by the destroyer. The sin of grumbling and complaining is serious, and God will deal with it. James 5, 9 says this, Don't complain, brothers and sisters, against one another. Now it's not just spiritual leaders. It's just about anybody. Just don't complain about anybody so that you won't be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. I'm telling you, that's, that's really bad news. But i got to end on some good news because here's the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Specifically talking about the sin of grumbling, which may be news to you, that no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man, but God is faithful. So that he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape so that you'll be able to endure it. Did you know that when you get tempted to grumble, the Holy Spirit's going to tell you don't do that? So it's not a matter of if you'll be tempted to complain, but what you're going to do with it when it comes. You can downplay the sin or you can apply the gospel. You can turn to the Lord and rely on the Spirit or you can look to your flesh. But here's what I'm trying to tell you today. I have to go to the gospel for my joy. And if I'm looking at anything else in this world to give me something other than what Jesus has promised, I will find something to complain about. The Israelites lost sight of the exodus and their redemption when they grumbled and complained. And when we grumble and complain, it's because we've lost sight of the greater exodus and the redemption that's found in Jesus. So I have to meditate on Jesus, what I have coming in my future. If I can't be happy about what I have now, I've got to be happy about what I got coming later. It's all about perspective. Suppose a man, John Newton said, was going to New York to take possession of a large estate and his carriage should break down a mile before he got to the, to the city where his estate was. And so he had to get out of his carriage and he had to walk a mile to get there. We would think him a fool if we saw him wringing his hands, blubbering out and complaining the whole mile, my carriage is broken, my carriage is broken. It's because we lose sight of what's ahead. 
When we complain, we've already forgotten what's ahead and what we already have in Jesus. So instead of focusing on what I don't have, I got to focus on what I do have. I got to lean hard on Jesus because he's the one that keeps me from complaining because Jude 24 and 25 tells me this. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless, there it is, with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Listen to me. Here, here's what I'm trying to tell you, man. I've got to turn to Jesus for my joy, and when I do, I complain less. Now, let me tell you as the band begins to come, can I, can I tell you something just in a nutshell? This is going to sound bad, but, but it's true. <laughs> you, you need to be killing complaining, or complaining is going to kill you. I once heard a story of a farmer who had a complaining wife. And from morning till night, she would complain about something just over and over. The only time this farmer got any relief from his complaining wife was when he went out to the farm, and there was his donkey. One day, as he was plowing, his wife brought him some lunch, and so he put the donkey in the shade, and he began to have his lunch. Well, immediately, his wife began her complaining. And all of a sudden, that donkey lashed out with both his hind feet. He hit her and killed her dead on the spot. Well, at the funeral, the pastor noticed something odd. When women would come up to the man, the farmer would listen for a minute. He would nod his head in agreement. But when the men approached him, he would listen for a minute and then shake his head in disagreement. And this happened so many times that the pastor went up to him and, and asked him about it. So the pastor said, hey, why is it that when all the women come up to you, you would... You just shake your head in agreement. But when the men came up, you would shake your head in disagreement. The farmer said, well, the women would come up and they would always say something nice about my wife and how good she cooked and how she just dressed so well. And he said, yeah, I just nod my head in agreement. Well, what about the men, the pastor asked. I mean, why would you shake your head in disagreement? He said, well, the men knew that the donkey had killed my wife. And they always just asked me if my donkey was for sale. I'm not taking a shot at women. And I'm not saying we should kill those who complain us. Here's my point. You kill the complaining or the complaining is going to kill you. God takes this stuff seriously. So you're going to whine or you're going to shine. That's the choice we have before us. We're going to whine or we're going to shine. So I wonder this morning, man, as we go into our invitation, man, what the Lord may have spoken to your heart. Because, see, when I hear a message like this, here's what I instantly think of, man. I got a lot of confessing to do. And I have to go to some people and I have to tell them, hey, man, listen, I know I've been critical and I've been complaining a whole lot. The Lord's convicting me of that. Would you please forgive me? I know I need to do that. I know that I have to see this as a sin, and I've got to work on crucifying it. And I've really got to ask myself, do I really even think it's that serious? I have to really do some work in my heart. So, man, I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing, Oh, Come to the Altar. What appropriate song this morning to bring this sin before the Lord. Or maybe it is that, that really practically speaking, maybe you've been complaining or just negative about the, with the person that you brought with you. 
Maybe you've realized today, man, I've been that complaining spouse. Or maybe you've just got to say to somebody in here who's a spiritual leader in your life, maybe it's your growth group leader. You've just been complaining and just nagging them. Maybe you need to go to them and just say, hey, man, listen, the Lord's convicted my heart. Or better yet, today, maybe you're just complaining about your lot in life and you're like, man, if there's a good God, I sure would like to, to know about that and I really can't believe there's one because of the way my life is. Here's what I know, you're here for a reason. Can I let you know, man, that the sin of complaining is not the only sin that we struggle with and we all struggle with lots of things, but just even one sin, man, separates us from God. But the good news is that Jesus Christ came and died on a cross to forgive us of that, to pay for that, to bring us back to God. Not only the sin of complaining, but any and all sin. And if you would just trust that today, just call out to the Lord Jesus and say, Jesus, I finally get it. I have turned from you, and I want to turn back to you. I believe that you died for me. You were buried and raised for me, and I want your forgiveness. Not only of just any sin, but all sin. I promise you today he'd do that. So I don't know really what you want to do, but I'm going to pray, and we're going to stand at our feet, we're going to sing, and then there'll be some people down here to greet you, to talk with you, to pray with you. You can do that here. You can do that in your seat. But I'm going to pray. I'm going to let the Spirit do what the Spirit does. So would you pray with me right now? Jesus, I pray today with the psalmist that you would set a guard over my mouth, that the thoughts and intentions of my heart may be pleasing in your sight. Be big, Jesus, in this moment. May your grace be greater than all our sin. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? And would you come?